0: What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Thursday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orrico. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Orrico 99 and also at BB. That's where all of our new baseball and fantasy baseball content gets posted from on Twitter. Whether it be podcasts, articles, different news and notes, and of course, everything that has been added into our draft guide. That is what I'd like you guys to go check out, whether it's at EthosFantasyBB or at SportsEthos.com. We have more than 20 articles that are live in there. Everything from my rankings. We have Dynasty rankings and a whole Dynasty section, really. Uh, Andrew did a great job putting together all of the Dynasty content that we have in our draft guide. There are, I think, 11 features. One of them looks at players who have switched teams this offseason and how their new home affects their fantasy outlook. There's a decision matrix series that focuses on how to decide between two similarly ranked players or two similar players in general. There is so much stuff. I could go on for a whole episode just going through all the great work the guys have done. Please make sure you are checking it out, either at sportsethos.com under the MLB tab or on Twitter, like I have said for these last several months now, at ethosfantasybb.com. Today, we are going to continue with the pitcher rankings. This has been pitcher week. This is part four of that series, and we're going to go through pitchers numbers 36 through 50 today. We did 10 on each of the first two days, and then we went through 15 of them yesterday. We're going to go through another 15 today, and then tomorrow, we're going to look at the entire back half of the top 100. We're going to go through 51 to 100, looking more general based on tiers, and we're going to be trying to be more concise with those particular players because I, I could spend... So much time going through pitchers. Pitching is my favorite part of baseball. It is probably why I was a little bit sour about the pitch clock because it impacts the part of the game that I like to focus on the most, how the pitcher prepares for the pitch and, and yada, yada. Whatever. That's a side note. But I've just always loved pitching. I could go on about all these guys. At length, I could spend at least 10-15 minutes talking about each pitcher. But we're going to try and make that more concise. If you guys want the long-winded explanations, we did that for the top 20. Yesterday, a little bit more concise, but we're still going into quite a bit of detail when talking about my rankings, why I like certain players versus other players. And we are going to start off today, like I said, at number 36, and that is Nick Lodolo. Now, I am a little bit higher on him than the Fantasy Pro's consensus. He is the 41st pitcher over there. I think that Nick Lodolo has a chance to be an absolute stud, and Cincinnati is lined up very nicely for the future between him and Hunter Green on the mound. Lodolo last year in 19 starts, 103 innings, great strikeout numbers. It was 11.4 Ks per nine, just a tick under 30% K rate. Walk rate was a little bit high at 8.8%, but historically in the minor leagues, a little bit lower than that, between 5 and 7% typically, something I think he can get down long-term the ERA last year was something that surprised me looking back on it. It was 366. You would have thought just looking at it, you know, rookie pitcher in Cincinnati. It's likely going to be higher than that. It wasn't. The pitching indicators were just a slight bit above that for the most part 397 X ERA, a 390 FIP. For the most part, he was very, very, very solid last year. The Sierra, which is a lot of people's favorite skills indicator ERA, it's a lot of people's favorite pitching indicating metric. 329 was his Sierra overall. He was the best pitcher that Cincinnati had last season, even better than Hunter Green, who a lot of people are higher on. For me personally, I am more so in the Nick Lodolo camp. I think that you're getting still very similar strikeout numbers. You're getting somebody who's already proven it at the big league level that he can he can compete. Whereas Ladolo or not Ladolo, excuse me. Whereas Hunter Green last year did struggle. Uh, Ladolo actually was very very good giving you that good ERA of 3.66, His whip was at 125, which is a touch high, but all things considered, for a rookie pitcher in Cincinnati, he was electric. I think this season, we're going to see probably more of the same. I think that we can see some slight improvements, even though we know that development is not linear. I think that Nick Lodolo, give him another year used to MLB batting. Over the course of a full season, I think that we can see him produce similar ratios with similar everything, really, Now, is there some concern being in Cincinnati? Always, of course, for every pitcher. Home runs last season were not a big problem for him, but it was over one, his homers per nine, which is to be expected. 1.13 homers per nine is not going to kill you pitching in Cincinnati. 13 homers over 103 innings. It's a little high, but all things considered, in that ballpark, you'll take it, especially considering everything else he was doing for you. The strikeouts are huge. Now, the team context does suck in terms of the ballpark and in terms of the win potential. It's probably going to be suppressed to the point where you're not going to see more than maybe 10 or 11 wins. The highest win projection is 10. That comes from Steamer and also the bat. They're both calling for 10 victories. I think that's probably about as much as we can hope for with Nick Lodolo, but you're getting great strikeouts the ratios i think they should be similar to what we saw last year is there a potential for them to be worse absolutely in that ballpark he he is a little bit risky still even though he did blow up he had a great season last year there is definitely some risk associated with taking Ladolo. i think the price fairly reasonable he's going about pick generally about pick 130 let me see these most recent drafts cuz things are changing All the time, and you never really know what anybody's going to be drafted on a a given day. But right now, over these last 24 RotoWire Online Championships over the last week, he's going at pick 133 on average. 114 is the minimum, 153 is the maximum. I like Nick Lodolo quite a bit. I would personally be taking him over Hunter Green this season. I acknowledge that there is definitely a chance that it doesn't go according to plan. But when you look at the entirety of what he did last season, look at that over the course of a full season, which is what he should likely be able to do this season, I think that there is a chance that he ends up as one of the better value pitchers that you can get in that post uh, 100 pick range. Really like him. Also acknowledging that there is certainly some risk associated with him. But let's keep it going. Move on to number 37, and that is Freddie Peralta. Now, like I've been doing here so far, just kind of looking comparatively speaking with the rest of the fantasy pros people to see where they have everybody else to see if I'm too high or too low on anybody necessarily. Um, but Freddy Peralta is going as the 39th pitcher according to ADP on, not ADP in terms of the expert consensus rankings on fantasy pros. I got him at 37. Freddie Peralta is a very tricky player to actually figure out. When he has been on, and that was mostly during the 2021 season, he was electric. He had a 281 ERA. He was striking out well over 30% of batters. It was at 33%. Control was a bit of an issue, but he was dominant in 2021. The problem was down the stretch; they limited his innings quite a bit. It was the first time he'd really got up over 100 innings, and down the stretch he didn't do much for you. Last season, he dealt with some injury problems. He only threw 17 games. While he was out there, he was still pretty good. It was a 3.58 ERA, and all the pitching indicators, the ones that I like to look at, were coming in uh, a little bit below that. The 3.57 Sierra, very good. 2.70 xERA, 3.06 FIP while still giving you good strikeout numbers. It was not the same, kind of upwards of 30% K rate, but it was 27%. I think that he can get it up a little bit again this year when you factor in, you know, he'll probably be healthy. He's going into the season healthy. I mean, I shouldn't say probably will be healthy because we never really know, but he's entering the season healthy. He is a number three starter on the Brewers. He doesn't have that... Pressure of being the top of the rotation guy, like a lot of people with his skill set would. He can come in there behind Woodruff, behind Burns, and kind of do his thing. And I think that that is something that we don't really think about as much as we maybe should. Somebody who is the ace of their team, the ace of their staff, will have more pressure on them than a guy like Freddie Peralta, who is the number three pitcher. You could look at a bunch of situations across Major League Baseball. You know, in Atlanta, we talked about Kyle Wright yesterday. You could look at that situation with Wright and Morton and Strider, and you say that, you know, a guy like Strider doesn't have as much pressure as he might maybe should if he were the only guy that they can turn to in that rotation. When there are teams that are a lot more flush with starters, I feel like the burden is taken off of each individual player, and that is definitely the case here with Freddie Peralta. He's still going to give you great strikeout numbers. He's on a team where you know you're not expecting the moon, but I think 80 to 85 wins should be in the bank. It's just a matter of how much they will actually let him go out there. The projections are calling for about 130, 135 innings. If he is able to do that, we saw it over the course of 2021, how valuable he can be, even in a slightly abbreviated season. I think with Freddie Peralta, there's not a ton of risk, really, when you look at the draft price, when you look at what he is capable of. I mean, he's going close to pick 150, sometimes a lot of the time falling after that too. 147 is his ADP. most recent drafts. The maximum pick is 173. There are people who are really not big on him. I understand the concerns, but I think at that price, you buy in hoping for a rebound, hoping for a healthier season. I think it does make sense. Where he is going, I would be taking a chance on Freddy Peralta. I have one share so far. I'm going to try and get a couple more because I think the price is just really reasonable. I think having him number 37 here, you could maybe make the argument that he is more valuable than Lodolo because he's not pitching in such a bad ballpark. We have already seen him do it. We've seen Lodolo do it as well, but when Peralta was on that year, he was like a Cy Young contender for part of the season. It's close. I think in that range you could flip-flop them hypothetically, uh, but we're going to go Lodolo at 36 and Peralta at 37 as of right now. Of course, these lists are pretty fluid. We'll we'll see things move around here and there we saw it yesterday with Edwin Diaz how lists are going to have to be changed closer rankings are going to have to be updated and they will be but let's keep going number 38 is Grayson Rodriguez I think I might be the highest person on Grayson Rodriguez I'm going to take a look and see because there's a lot of people who are, are fairly big on him but 38 I am in fact the highest on Grayson for this season it took me a while to buy in it took me a little while going through my offseason process to, to really understand Grayson Rodriguez and how good he is. But my God, like at the AAA level last season, 14 starts. It was 69 innings. He gave you over 12 strikeouts per nine while having a pretty reasonable walk rate of 7.7%. It was a 36% K rate, 7.7% walk rate. He did that with a 220 ERA. The FIP, scarily enough, was actually lower at 204 that's kind of what we've been accustomed to with him over the course of his minor league career. Massive strikeouts, pretty decent control considering how how many strikeouts he has. A lot of the times you'll see that correlate with higher walk rate, bigger strikeout rate. It, it does happen. We've seen it a little bit in the minor league. Sometimes it's flared up more so when he was younger and he's kind of got that under control a little bit. A and double A last season, they were very, very high, but they we're only talking three starts. We're talking six innings total. When he's actually had proper sample sizes at any level of the minor leagues, we're seeing great strikeouts, we're seeing great walk rates, we're seeing overall elite production from Grayson Rodriguez. He's going into a ballpark that has become more pitcher-friendly over the last couple of seasons. Right-handed hitters, right-handed batters cannot hit home runs as easily at Camden Yards as they once did. Not that he is a guy who's ever had a home run problem, but that's just another little... Piece of magic there to help out with the Grayson Rodriguez hype. His price is getting more expensive. He's gone from about pick 200 up to pick 170, 175. I took him out pick 170 in TGFBI. I am in, I'm all the way in on Grayson Rodriguez. Now I'd like to know for sure where his standing is to start the season. I think that he will be there. I think that he should be there. Let me take a look at the most recent uh, iteration of roster resource here while I'm While I'm talking with you guys to see if there has been any update there, uh, let's take a look at Baltimore. I am guessing that they probably have him listed in the rotation. They have him listed as the number five starter. But, I mean, when you look at the guys ahead of him, Kyle Gibson, Cole Irvin, Kyle Bradish, Dean Kramer, he's pretty clearly the best guy in that rotation. It's just a matter of how much they are going to let him go. The different projections don't really seem to agree on innings pitch, but the lowest innings pitch projection for him is 103, which comes from Zips, the depth chart projection version, which is a little bit skewed because it's always a little bit skewed, those depth chart projections, because we don't really know how accurate the depth charts are actually going to be preseason when we're talking about playing time and everything else. When you're looking at all the other projections, 118, 118, 121, 139 innings. Like, they are... Mostly everywhere calling for 23, 24 starts out of Grayson Rodriguez, and you know he's not going to be playing the rest of the American League East as much. It's another nice little factor there, playing in Baltimore. There's a lot to. it's nothing I don't like at this point, except for the uncertainty about you know maybe Baltimore pulls some nonsense and starts him in the minor leagues. I I'm not expecting it. It's definitely possibility. If he does, then he'll get lowered in these rankings, of course. But as of right now, I am fairly bullish on Grayson Rodriguez. I would be drafting him wherever you can. There's a very good chance that he ends the season as a top 100 player, overall player. We're not talking pitchers. I think overall, he could be very realistically a top 100 player. So go and get him while you still can before the price does get unreasonably expensive because it's, it's creeping up there. He's gone up 20, 30 picks on average over the last few weeks. I don't expect him to be a top 100 pick or anything crazy, but let me take a look at the minimum pick uh, just over these last couple of weeks or this last week, really, to see how bullish people are. Minimum pick, 149. That's in the 12-teamer. If I go to the 15-teamers, the minimum pick, uh, it's a little bit later on, 178. Either way, uh, I'd be getting him while you can because the price is going to just continue to climb up. But Grayson Rodriguez at number 38 feels very reasonable for me. Number 39, Hunter Green, Hunter Green is another very, very tricky one this season. um, uh, let me take a look at where he is ranked by the rest of the folks here. probably somewhere similar thirty six is his is his um e c r ranking i I don't know at all what to think at this point we could i, I well i do know what to think, but I still am kind of torn on where to rank him because A lot of people who are very smart in this industry are very big on Hunter Green, and it's understandable. I mean, he could be the next Cy Young winner, not this season, but he could be the next guy who comes up and wins a couple Cy Youngs in Major League Baseball. He is electric. But, you know, some of the same arguments we talked about with Nick Lodolo do come into effect here. He does have a home run problem. He does have a control problem. And that ballpark is not going to help, specifically with the home runs. Now, where Nick Lodolo's homers per nine last season was 1.13, Hunter Green's was 1.72. Not great. The walk rate was also a big problem, ending the year at 9%. Now, he was still striking out 31% of batters. Whenever you see anybody is striking out more than 30% of batters, you need to take a look. And it's kind of why I'm looking at Jesus Lizardo's a little bit closer than I probably normally would this season. That strikeout rate is something that is very hard to come by. And that's why a lot of people are pushing them up. That's Those strikeouts are typically an indicator of how dominant you are going to be in your career. I just don't know if this is the year where we're going to see it from Hunter Green, a guy who is 23, he'll be 24 in season, who's pitching in the worst ballpark you could probably be pitching in, I guess, depending on how you want to look at it. Maybe it's Coors, but it's for home runs in terms of home runs allowed a great American Ballpark is far and away the worst. Coors, a lot of the time, it'll add more base hits. The thin air, it tends to lead to more base hits. I'm not science enough to know exactly the reasoning behind all of it. But Great American Ballpark does lend itself to home run hitters. And that's not something that is going to play well for Hunter Green. The walk rate is not going to play well for him. You're pretty much drafting him because you want the massive strikeouts and you're hoping for a breakout. But at the price that you're paying for him, it's just not worth it at this rate. He is going routinely now inside the top 100 picks. His ADP over the last couple of weeks, we're looking at 12-team RotoWire Online Championships. Those are 12-team high-stakes leagues, I think $350 entry fee. Hunter Green, his ADP is 102. The minimum pick is 83. I think at this point we've lost our collective minds. You know, we're looking at somebody who was, you know, the strikeouts were there last year, 30-plus percent, but the home run problem was certainly there. He ended the year with a 4-4-4 ERA. The whip was 1-2-1. You know, there was nothing that really screams you should be buying in this year. Uh, You know, people will point to his last few starts of the season. And understandable, they were very, very good once he came back. We are talking about piss-poor opponents for the most part, though, when you look at these starts. Now, that last start before he went down, that was in, uh, was the 1st of August against Miami, six innings, no earned runs, eight strikeouts. Then he didn't pitch again until September the 17th. It was against St. Louis. Six innings, no earned runs, 11 strikeouts. Absolutely dominant, and that's the one that people will point to that and say this, you know, he broke out, or, or whatever they're going to say. Those last three starts of the season, the last memory that we have of him, Milwaukee, Pittsburgh, and Chicago, where he went five, six, and six, allowing two earned runs combined, having eight, ten, and eight strikeouts respectively in those games. He beat up on some poor opponents; he really did. St. Louis game, yes, like that's that's a great start against a great team in St. Louis. But the Miami, Milwaukee, Pittsburgh, Chicago, we're looking at starts against terrible teams that he beat up on, as he should have. I mean, it's not to take away from him; like you know, not everybody will beat up on those teams. He did, but to take that four game sample size, four five game sample size against mostly horrible opponents, and then, you know, use that as justification to draft him very high up the season. I, I don't personally see it. I think that there's a chance that I might even move him down a little bit farther in these rankings. Like I, I like him, but I don't want anything to do with him this season because he's just been priced out for me. I mean, that's the tricky thing with fantasy. You're in on everybody to a certain degree at price. You know, depending on where their price is, if Hunter Green was going at pick 210 or something, absolutely. If he was going to even pick 150, 160, I'd probably be there. But at pick 85 to 100 kind of range, there's a lot of value you're leaving on the board if you are going to take him in that range. And we're still talking about a very young, inexperienced pitcher who is in a horrible ballpark. So I don't know that I'm going to be taking any Hunter Green. I think that it's the best course of action for this year is is probably to stay away from him and that's what I am going to be doing unless he severely falls in a draft and you know I don't think he will based on the hype that he gets from a lot of people I'm just going to be kind of out on Hunter Green but you know I'm still thinking he could be he should be a Cy Young winner at some point in his career maybe it won't come in Cincinnati his skill set though is is raw but it is very very nice to look at and that's why people are very interested the fireballer, big strikeout numbers, but I don't think that that is, in and of itself, enough justification for me to want to be taking him at this point. It's unfortunate, but it's just kind of where we are. I'm not there, and I think that you guys probably should be out, too. I understand the appeal. There's just a lot that worries me. I think it's a lot of it comes down to the velocity, too. People see that 100, 101, 102, and they, they want to buy into it, but I just don't think this is the year, unfortunately, because of the price. But let's keep going. Let's talk about number 40 on my list. That is Luis Severino. Now, I'm a little bit lower on him than consensus. He is number 30 based on the Fantasy Pro's ECR. I'd like to see him stay healthy for a whole season. I think that is part of my worry with him. When he's out there, he's generally been excellent. But the health is is certainly a concern. And you do have to factor in health when you are doing rankings. I think you do anyway. That's why Jacob deGrom is not number one across the board. Because if you don't factor in health, then sure, Jacob deGrom is clearly number one. But you know you have to look at every player individually. You look at their own output. 2019, he threw 12 innings. 2020, he didn't pitch at all. 2021, he threw six innings. This past season, he threw 102 innings. We saw an increased walk rate. We saw a lowered strikeout rate. He was, the production was still good. The actual you know ERAs and whatnot were still good. 3.18 ERA. The WHIP was one on the dot. I, I like that. But there's a couple things that do kind of concern me there, specifically the strikeout rate coming down. He's always been a big K-rate guy, upwards of 30%. Maybe he just needed a year to get back into the groove of things. But it did fall like 7 8%. And all the projections, every single public projection, has him falling further from anywhere to 25% up to 26.5%. So he is, you know, by all the expected metrics, going to be losing more from that K percentage. And it'll be 10 points lower than where it was Back in 2021. I mean, 2021, I guess you can't really look at you gotta kinda gotta look at 2018, where he is still close to 30 percent. But you know, I, I don't want to see that for any player. I do not want to see them trending in the direction of lowing lowering their strikeout percentage. Also, raising the walk rate does not really help. Early in his career, it was over 8%, 8.5%, 8%. He lowered it in 2017 and 2018 it did go back up this year by about a percent, percent and a half. Not something I want to see. You know, the Babbitt was very low last season. The left-on-base percentage was pretty high at 80%. There's a lot that I'm looking at that screams stay away from Luis Severino. People are very interested in him. They always kind of are... For me, I think the price is a little bit steep going inside the first 110 picks. He is going inside the top 100 picks, depending on your draft. 94 is his minimum over the last couple of weeks and 12 teamers. I just think there's a lot better value as you go farther down the board. You don't need to be taking a chance on somebody who has missed a boatload of time. And we are like, the strikeouts really do bother me, even though it's not like a massive decrease from when he was fully out there a lot in 2018, 2017. It's still a decrease, and it's only a percent or two, a couple percent, but trending in that direction and going the opposite way with walk rate as well, not something that I really want to be seeing from him. The velocity seemed to be mostly there, maybe a tick down from what we saw in when he was you know producing as high as he should have back in 2017, 2018. It's about a, a tick, tick and a half down. There's nothing that I'm seeing with Severino that makes me want to rank him higher than where he's going. And I don't think I'm necessarily the low person on him. Uh, the low man has him at 43. I think where I've got him, it's it seems reasonable considering the risk that you are taking. You know, The Yankees are not the greatest team this season, especially with all the injuries they've got on their pitching staff. I don't know how much he's going to be relied upon. I don't know how much they're going to be able to rely upon him considering the fact that he hasn't really, I mean, 102 innings last year, is he going to throw what they're expecting? The projections, 150. That would be probably the high end of it. I think, I don't know that they're going to necessarily push him. I don't know that the team necessarily got better behind him as opposed to what we saw last year. I think it's the Aaron judge show and he's kind of, supported by everybody else to some degree, but I think it's Judge and then you know, a lot of mediocrity in that lineup. I don't know that they're going to win as many games. It's just there's every factor that I can look at with Severino leads me to not want to draft him, and specifically the price. You're taking him inside the top 100 a lot of the time. For me, I just can't get behind doing it, so I am going to have him ranked at number 40. He could, he could smash through it. He definitely could, but I think the odds are that he will probably, at best, kind of return this general range, which is SP4 kind of value, SP3, SP4. Not somebody i don't want to be drafting in the top 100 as, you know, some people might take him as their SP1. If you're waiting on pitching, he's in that range where it's possible, maybe SP2, but just not somebody that I want to be in bed with for this season. Let's keep it going now. On to Lucas Giolito. He is number 41 for me. Where is he? Uh, 42 is where he is based on the consensus. I guess I'm right in line there. He's another one, and this is a, everybody kind of in this range has been, it was a little bit tricky to rank. Lucas Giolito is somebody where I don't really know exactly what we're going to see out of him. Last year was awful. Last year was a bad year. But that ERA was ballooned ahead of all the pitching indicators. The Sierra was 379. If you look at his FIP, it was 406. XFIP was 366, and then the ERA was 490. Is it going to be that bad again? I don't think so. None of the projections seem to think so. It was just kind of an outlier bad season for him, which does happen. People are kind of already writing off what he did in 2019 and 2020 and 2021. I don't think we can yet. I don't know that he is necessarily an ace, but I think that he is probably going to be a little bit undervalued just because... What have you done for me lately is always the thing that people look at in sports, fantasy sports. If you drafted him last year, he he burned you, and that's why you're getting him outside of the top 140. Sometimes outside of the top 150 picks, his minimum uh, over these last couple of weeks is 111. The maximum is 160, and it evens out to an ADP of 143. I think at that point, you can buy in, hoping that you'll get those strikeouts back went away a little bit this season. We saw him at his peak, upwards of 30% K rate these last two years, 27.9, 25.4 this year. The walk rate, which is something that I thought he kind of got under control in 2021, it ballooned back up to 8.7%. It was a bad, unlucky year for him. And I think we have to look at some of the other factors as well. The BABIP, You know, people will say it's a lazy argument when you say, oh, the Babbitt will regress one way or the other. A lot of the time, you are, are in fact, correct when you are looking at that, especially with a guy like Lucas Giolito. Over these last several seasons, you're looking at 268, 273, 255, 269 in the Babbitt department. This season, it was 340. It's not going to be that bad again. It really shouldn't. None of the projections think it'll be over about 290, 295 is the high one from ATC, or 296 from ATC is the high one. Even at that rate, you cut some points off the BABIP. Let's call it 40, 50 points. That batting average against last season was 270. You'll take that down probably down to, to 20, 230 in that range, assuming he had you know regular league average BABIP, and that also killed his whip because he was allowing so many more base runners. It was 144. All those things seem like outliers to me. I don't think that we're going to see Giolito flounder like he did last season. You know, I hope that we can see the velocity kind of get back up a touch. It felt like maybe a tick this season, a tick or so. Uh he was averaging with the fastball just shy of 94 in 2021. This past season it was 92.6. I don't know how concerning that is particularly. Like he's not somebody that I'm reaching for. I'm taking him where he is going and even if he falls beyond that because of the price. It's not like I am in on him at all costs. I need to be reaching and grabbing Giolito. It's the point where it's a buyback opportunity. And most of the time in fantasy, anything, when somebody has suppressed so much their value, their draft price from the previous year because of a bad season, for the most part, you can look at that as a buying opportunity. It was a huge buying opportunity last year with guys like Aaron Nola, with Zach Gallen, with Francisco Lindor bunch of others where you know it was a bad season for one reason or another whether it's unlucky or new ballpark or new team or whatever and then you buy back in the next year it's not always going to work that formula but when you're getting somebody highly discounted where in previous years they have not been especially when the underlying numbers kind of support that player's metrics I'm gonna buy back in on them 90 plus percent of the time and with Giolito I'm definitely willing to buy back in I'm not you know, throwing him up the draft board and taking him top 20 pitchers or whatever, I think that that is the ceiling for him, or that is the upside, a top 20-ish pitcher. We've seen it before. I'm not drafting him as though he will do that. I'm drafting him where he is going because there is a possibility that he can, and in the range where he's going, he's probably somebody that you should be taking a look at. Going to pick 140 for someone with his skill set, I don't know that he's necessarily going to get back up to where he was in terms of K rate, but closer to 30%. Hopefully those walks come back down a little bit. And even if they don't, I think that that BABIP will 100% be more reasonable next season. And we won't have to worry about close to a 5 ERA for Giolito. I do not see that happening. I think that we will see a much better season in line with what we saw these last couple of years from him outside of 2022. Go and take Lucas Giolito where he's going. I think that he is very reasonably priced. Next up, and this one I am Probably the low person or the high person, I guess, depending on how you want to look at it, in fantasy baseball. Regarding Mr. Alex Cobb, if you guys listened to the show last year, I am the low man, by the way, in terms of the, or the high man in terms of ranking at 42. If you listened to the show last season, if you watched my tweets go out last year, you know how big of a fan I am of Alex Cobb. He is honestly very special, and the last couple of seasons have proven. You know, even not so much with results, even though the ERA is under four both years, 376, 373. The expected metrics are so good. And maybe that is San Francisco's defense. Likely it is San Francisco's defense kind of giving those runs back. But are they going to do it again this year? Uh, Some people would say that they probably will. But even if they do, even if they're not supporting him the way that they should be supporting him. What he's done these last couple of years is give you a mid-threes ERA with good strikeouts, low walk rate. He is somebody that nobody really cares about for fantasy. And he is somebody that I cared about greatly last season. I had him on most of my teams, and I know a lot of people kind of gave up on him. And it's understandable partway through the year he was looking horribly bad luck. And it still ended, like, he got more lucky, but throughout the season, you know, he only left 68% of runners on base. The Babapi allowed was three thirty-six. That's not good. That's something that you can say, okay, does the defense impact that? Absolutely. But when you look at the indicators and everything he did last year, it's very similar to what he did in 2021 when he had the Angels behind him. It wasn't, you know, the Angels don't have a great defense, but I don't think they're as bad as San Francisco, and he still had similar kind of trouble. And when I say trouble, again... 3.76 3.76 ERA, 3.73 ERA. Like He was somebody that you could still rely on for fantasy. And I think where he's going this year, am I, am I being a little bit aggressive on the price? Maybe. But where he's going at 2.12, I think there is nowhere to go but up for him. Somebody who has, over the years, <clears throat> started striking out a lot more batters than he used to. He used to be like a 16, 15 kind of percent strikeout rate guy. Sometimes getting up to 20, but he was middling for, you know, honestly bad for strikeouts. These last couple of years, 25 and 24 percent, he lowered the walk rate this year down to 6.8 after it kind of ballooned in 21. I trust San Francisco. I trust them what they can do with their pitchers. That's why I'm in on pretty much all of their pitchers every year. Alex Cobb this year is no different for me. I think that really he is one of the most underrated players in all of baseball. It might sound like a hot take, and maybe it is. But I would definitely be trying to take a few shares of him wherever you can. The price is incredibly reasonable. After pick 200, he is somebody that has shown it for the last two seasons that he can go out there and produce. Even with kind of a blackluster team around him, You know, maybe those wins aren't going to be crazy high, but he's going to give you pretty solid ratios, probably about 10 wins or so. And those strikeouts are not great, but they are above average. And where you're drafting him at that point, I think that that is enough for you. So go get Alex Cobb. I think that he is going to be in the 40s in terms of his value this season. Am I a little bit too aggressive on him? Time will tell, but I think it feels very reasonable to have him as the number 42 SP for me at this point for 2023. But let's keep it going. Let's move on to number 43 here, and that is going to be Charlie Morton. Charlie Morton is a tricky one as well. Everybody is kind of tricky at this point. With him, it comes down to age. Now, he is number 43 based on the ECR. I have him right at 43. This seemed to be happening a lot yesterday, too. I haven't looked at where other people are ranked based on their ECR. I try to avoid all of that stuff, and when I've been looking at it on the show these last couple of days, I'm either lockstep with the, with the consensus or I'm setting the minimum or the maximum on these particular players. That's fine. That's cool. I mean, I'd rather be... Probably differentiating from the crowd. I don't want to just be blending in with everybody. I'd like to be kind of setting myself apart. And that's not to say that these are hot takes. These are how I generally, genuinely feel. Uh, but it is still kind of cool to see certain players line up right on the dot. And Charlie Morton's one of them at 43. He is still pitching for a great team. Atlanta is awesome. Atlanta is going to win double digit games for probably all of their starters. Now, last year was only nine wins for him. I think that he was a little bit unlucky still in that regard. He really, really turned it around. I'm going to take a look at the game log and see exactly where it was. I want to say it was June, roughly. It was. You can actually pinpoint exactly pretty much. It was, it was June 11th against Pittsburgh, where he went six innings, struck out 12. And then he was just on a roll after that for, uh, you know, not the rest of the season, but for the majority of the rest of the season until, you know, middle of August or so. He was absolutely dominant. The strikeouts were there like we'd, honestly, I don't want to say like we've never seen before, but it it honestly might have been, if I take a look at his stats during that time frame, his strikeout rate was about as good as I think he's had Uh, or at least it was close to a 28.2% K rate this season as a whole. And if you factor in like just that smaller sample size, he was absolutely dominant. I think that Charlie Morton is going to be probably still a value this year. There is a risk when you're drafting somebody at his age, but when you look at what he did last year, it was a very good season for a very good team. And that's not going to change. The team is still very good. You know, His overall end-of-year product at a 434 ERA was probably a little bit high, but I don't think that we're going to see it be that high again, and neither do any of the projections. They're all calling for somewhere below 4, whether it's 368 up to 399. Every ERA projection for him is below 4. They all think he's going to make 28, 29 starts while giving you solid strikeout numbers, 28%. Again, the walk rate, not terrible, not great, about 8%, 8 8.7%. Last year, and 8.3 historically. I'm, I'm in. I'm not, again, I'm not pushing him up my board so much. But I think where he is going, he is somebody that you can take, and he is a stabilizer in your rotation. Not somebody that you're reaching for. He's going around pick 160 generally. Uh, let's see. 162 is the ADP over the last two weeks. You can get him as late as 189 in, particular, in one particular draft anyway. Now, he did go up to 161 in one draft or excuse me, up to 134 in one draft. But for the most part, you're getting Charlie Morton after pick 150. Good team, good strikeouts. Overall, you know, that ERA was a little high last year, but I think it will come down just like everybody else does. And he should give you something that's more in line with like a high threes, maybe a low fours ERA at worst. But those wins should be there. The strikeouts should be there. And overall, I think Charlie Morton does make a lot of sense in the range where he is going. Now we're going to talk about somebody that I am lower on, probably than most. Again, we're going to flip flop back to somebody that I'm low on, and that's Tristan McKenzie. Tristan McKenzie is the 26th starting pitcher by, um, by ECR. I always, I always muff the term there. ECR. Uh, I have him at 44. Some people are going to hate that. Some people might understand. I am. I just don't know. I, I trust the organization, but. His K rate has gone down these last couple of seasons. The ERA indicators were not very pleasant last year. They weren't bad, but they were about you know close to a run higher than his actual ERA. He's not giving you the strikeouts that we did originally think, and that's kind of the big thing with me here. When he first arrived on the scene, he had a 31% strikeout rate. In the minors, generally, I think he was giving you thirty. Let's take a look. 38, 39, 28, 36. Like he was a massive strikeout number guy in the minor leagues. He thought that was going to carry over, 33%. And then over his first full season, it was 27.5%. That fell down to 25.6% this past season. Now, he did also lower his walk rate, but I don't know that we can look at Tristan McKenzie as somebody who is going to be as good as we maybe thought. 191 innings, pitching for a good team. There are things to like, but I think it's mainly the K rate and the price. You know, the price is another thing, and that doesn't necessarily factor into the rankings, but it does, I guess, in the back of my head a little bit. He's going inside the top 100 all the time. 88 is his ADP. He has fallen to 119 in the last couple weeks, but generally he is going inside of that top 100. The price is way too high. I think people are overrating the ability for fantasy. The whip is pretty low, but is it always going to be low? I'm not really sure of that. You know, he left a lot of batters on base last season. He had a pretty low walk rate, which historically for him, is it going to be there? It should be roughly there, but I don't know if it'll be as low as it was at 5.9%. I think a lot of people point to the whip as something that is going to be good for you, and it probably will be solid enough, but it's not going to be 0.95. The projections have it going from anywhere from 1.09 to 1.23. It won't be as much of an asset as you probably think it will be overall. I like him fine, but the price is is too much for me to pay into this season. Am I a little bit too low on him? A lot of people would probably say so. But for my money, I just don't want to be taking somebody who is strikeout rates heading in the wrong direction. It's a good enough team. It's it's a good team, but not good enough to the point where it would, you know, you're assured of 10 wins or anything like that. I don't know how many wins you're going to get out of him. It was 11 last year. Maybe he gets there again. It's not going to be 15 or anything like that. Of that, I am almost 100% certain of I would be looking in other directions, closing in on pick 100 here, or, or really anywhere, because he's not going to be falling to the point where I'm going to be comfortable with him in in most drafts. The maximum pick in the last couple of weeks is 119. Even at that range, I'm going to take Clayton Kershaw over him. I'm going to take a lot of guys who are going in the 120s, 130s range over him. I don't, <coughs> excuse me there. I don't hate him or anything. I don't. I think long term, like he can still be a very good pitcher. I just don't want anything to do with him this season because the price has become very, very much inflated. Next up, we got Drew Rasmussen at number 45. He was dominant last year. The Rays always seemed to figure it out. And I know that Rasmussen was kind of, I don't think he was highly revered necessarily, uh, but I think that there was definitely some hype around him in the minor leagues. hes I'm, I'm not the biggest minor league person. I don't follow the minors so much. But I think that people generally expected good things out of him. He delivered over his first full season as a starter. He had 11 wins in 28 games, albeit strikeout numbers were not there for you. But he had a 2.84 ERA. He gave you a 1.04 whip. Tampa, you just kind of have to trust Tampa. For whatever reason, they always seem to be able to do this with guys who... I know there was probably some hype around Rasmussen. I don't think he was a top prospect. Just looking at his minor league numbers, I doubt that he would have been a top prospect. Good K numbers, pretty good ERAs. I'm not really sure about like, what the expectation was, but I think he probably blew past that over his first, you know, he started 10 games in 2021 between Milwaukee and Tampa Bay, 35 appearances. But this was, this was his coming out party. I'm not sure where the rest of the community is on him. Let me take a quick look. I can't imagine too far off from here. Mm, 51. 51 is his, his uh, ECR ranking. I think it's all right. I think that that's probably about where you should be going in the 40, 50-ish SP range. You're getting a good team. You're getting probably what will be good ratios again. I don't know if there'll be 284 ERA again, uh, but I think I worry a little bit about the strikeouts. You have to, if for certain builds, he definitely works. He doesn't work in every situation because of the, the lack of strikeouts. His strikeout rate is, I think, the lowest we've looked at so far in terms of starting pitcher rankings. 21.4 last year he's not somebody that you can really expect massive k rates for uh, in the minors you know he topped out about 30 percent in double uh i'm looking at this triple a sample size here yeah this is only a couple games he's not somebody that you're going to see upwards of maybe a league average strikeout rate which is something that you're going to have to compensate for in your drafts if you've taken guys earlier on and you know we talked about this a little bit yesterday if you've taken in the early rounds, you know, you've got like an Otani, you've got Gosman, you've got Cease, you've got guys who, you know, Blake Snell, you've got guys who give you massive strikeout numbers. I think that you can take a guy like Rasmussen and be pretty okay. If you've started off with Sandy Alcantara and Max Fried and guys of that nature, Julio Urias, I don't know that Rasmussen is necessarily going to fit that particular build very well, but I do think that he is going to give you a decent amount of wins. Should be low-end double-digit wins with good ratios. The strikeouts are going to be where you kind of fall behind, but I think you can compensate for that down the line. So Drew Rasmussen at 45 for me. I'm I'm not really willing to jump up so much to take him. But I think that he is relatively reasonably priced where he is going. Uh, he's going 159. I think that that is I think that that is a fair price to be paying for Drew Rasmussen. As teammate Jeffrey Springs, who I actually just have outside the top 50, he's going just a little bit ahead of him. I think Rasmussen for me does give me a little bit more security. Springs did kind of absolutely come out of nowhere. Where Rasmussen, I think it was a little bit more expected. Springs is going to be like 51, 52. Uh, right now, the list is still being formed, the bottom half. Like, I have it. It's up on Fantasy Pros, but I'm still kind of figuring out some placement stuff. Jeffrey Springs, uh, he's, I, I like him, but I, I don't like him as much as Drew Rasmussen. If, if you have that choice between the two of them, I think some people may differ, but I would go, uh, I'd go for Drew Rasmussen there between the two of them. Let's keep it going with number 46, Brady Singer. Brady Singer is a big target of mine this year. I wish the price was still a little bit farther back, like where it used to be. I don't think it's gotten that crazy, but let's take a look where he's going right now. I think it's gone up. Uh, Oh, no, not actually as much as I thought it would have. He's at 192. That's still a very good bargain range for Brady Singer. The team context is not great pitching for Kansas, but last season, 10 wins over 24 starts. Definitely something that we can see happen. It's possible I don't expect a lot of wins. Probably that'll be about as much as you get from him, 10 or 12. But ERA last year, very solid. His control was very solid as well. 24% K rate, which is just a tick above average. You'll take it. 5.6% walk rate, and that did lead to a 1.14 whip. The ERA was strong. The indicators were fairly strong. The FIP was 3.58. The XFIP was 330. And the Sierra for him was 340, all fairly in line with what he gave you last season, which was solid production, albeit fairly mediocre strikeout numbers. But considering the amount of games he started, he won a good percentage of those games. Good control led to good ratios. Overall, Brady Singer is kind of an afterthought as well. Not so much in your NFBC leagues. People know who Brady Singer is. In your standard 10, 12-team leagues, Brady Singer is somebody you can get close to your last pick. He might not be like the actual last pick in the draft, but somewhere in that range, you know, he's going around pick 200. If you're talking a 10-team league, 23-man rosters, 230 players will get drafted. He's somebody you can get with your last couple of rounds, and he should be a mainstay on your team the entire year. Projections see him going up over his innings total from last year, which was 153. They all think that he'll go between 175 and 185. That should be doable. 30-31 starts for him. Average strikeout numbers, they're not going to be great, but 153 innings last year, he had 150 Ks. It's close to a strikeout per inning. It's nothing to stay away from. I think Brady Singer is going to be a huge, huge value play this season, and I definitely would be looking to take him. John Gray is up next. John Gray, I was very hopeful, him leaving Colorado, that we would see a massive season, and we saw a very good season from him. It was arguably eh, one of the – Close, arguably the best season we've seen from him as a pro. Uh, that K rate was up there with the best seasons that he's had. The ERA was close to being as low as we've seen from him. Indicators were all below the ERA. You know, the main factor here is he is no longer pitching at Coors Field. He did have good win totals for a lot of those years in Coors Field, but the ERA did suffer quite a bit because of it. The ERA for the career sits at 4.51 even after the sub 4 ERA last season. Very glad he has gone from there. He's given you good strikeouts, above average walk rate at 7.5%. I always mess myself up with above and below, depending on minimum, maximum pick and how to phrase it. But low strikeout or low walk rate with a good strikeout percentage of 25.7, which was nearly a career high, just about a career high. If you're, I mean, 2016, it was just 0.3% higher. This was the best K-minus walk rate that he has given us. The whip was 1.13, which was also the lowest we've seen from him. Now, he went down with an injury and didn't finish the season. Uh, I think his last start would have been... Let me take a look here. Uh, You know what he actually did? He came back close to the end. I'd forgotten that he came back. Um, But he was not as great when he came back. I don't think that he had enough time to properly ramp up. He gave up a couple of home runs, five home runs over his last two starts. Didn't look great, but you give him a whole offseason to get right another year in that Texas rotation, and he is not going to be the guy who has to be like the number one in that rotation. It'll be Jacob DeGrom... The pressure is not really there for him. I think that John Gray is somebody that you should definitely be looking at. You know, uh, depending on who we've talked about here today, some of these guys I'm targeting, some of them I'm not really. John Gray, I think, is very reasonably priced. He is going after pick 200 in most drafts. 210 is his ADP. He is somebody that I think can smash through that and give you a great value season. He is, by the ECR, number 56 in terms of starting pitchers. I think that that's a little bit too low. Uh, I'm taking John Gray in a bunch of drafts. I've drafted him twice so far this year and we'll see if I can get another share cuz I really like what he does. Let's keep it going with Patrick Sandoval. He is number 58 in the ECR. I have him at 48. You know, I really like what he did last season. Patrick Sandoval quietly was one of the more valuable pitchers that you I mean I need to phrase this properly. He was more, one of the more valuable pitchers in all of baseball, but in terms of, you know, the cost that you paid for him, which was likely for the most part, just a waiver wire pickup, gave you 148 innings. He gave you a sub three ERA. He gave you solid strikeout numbers at 24%. It's not great, but when you're getting a sub three ERA to go along with that, the whip was the one thing that kind of was the problem there. And it was, you know, there's a couple of things you can look at. His BABIP was a little bit higher than we might have hoped for at 316. It's not, like, egregiously high. I think it's something that he can maybe get back under control a little bit. Previous couple of years, he's in the 260 range. Uh, I think that it's probably going to come down a little bit, but that's, that's not really the main issue here. It's one of the issues. It did lead to maybe a little bit of a higher batting average against, but even then, 243 was his average against. It's really the walk rate that he has to work on. He got it down to 9.4% after it was 9.9% the year prior. It still needs to come down a little bit farther than that. That's the big thing. Uh, I think if he gets the walk rate under control, he can be absolutely elite. We saw it last year with the FIP and the XFIP and everything else. They were good. Like The XERA was a run higher than the actual ERA, which is not great, but the FIP was at 309, the XFIP was at 367, and the Sierra for him was at 394. I mean, they're Still within the very good range. I think that he'll probably regress a little bit this season and give you a, a above three ERA, but I don't think it'll be crazy high. I think it'll be somewhere in the 3-5 range with good strikeout numbers. And I mean, the wild card here is really this Angels team and how good they are going to be. He won only six starts last year out of 27. It depends on how healthy the Angels team can be. If they are a good team, though, I could see him smashing through that, giving you double-digit victories, 10 or 12 of them, somewhere in that range to go along with everything else we've talked about. Patrick Sandoval is another guy that's not really being considered as a big asset this season. You're able to draft him, I think fairly late after pick 200. Again, there's a lot of guys we've talked about here that I would be trying to fill out your rotation with, whether it's Rasmussen, Singer, Gray, Sandoval, you know, Charlie Morton, Alex Cobb. These guys are not very expensive you can fill out your rotation and have them and they are going to be guys who probably stay on your team the entire year. They're not guys that I anticipate being drops. Obviously, there'll probably be one that doesn't pan out from this group, one or two of them. But I think you take the <clears throat> excuse me. I think you take the chance based on ADP and you get yourself a pretty high upside if these guys do end up panning out. Sandoval. <clears throat> Sandoval could be very very good this year. He was very, very good last year, and I think a lot of it does come down to the team context. How good will the team around him be? That much I don't know, but at this point, he is my SP forty-eight for next season or for this season. I guess it is fully this season at this point. <clears throat> we're not looking. Uh, <clears throat> we're not looking very far ahead anymore. Just a couple weeks. Forgive the cough, guys. You guys who listen regularly know that. I kind of just haven't able to shake the cough for the last while. It comes and it goes, but apologies. We're nearly done here. We're almost at number 50. We are at 49, and that is Chris Bassett. He is number 46 in the ECR. I think that he is about as stable as it gets, and where he is going in drafts, typically going in the 160-ish kind of range. Let's take a look and see if that's changed at all. <clears throat> Generally, he's going about pick 160, and I think that that is totally reasonable. 173 in these most recent drafts. At that point... Man, that is totally, it's beyond fair, the value you're getting from Bassett at that point. You're getting somebody who is going to win a lot of games pitching for Toronto. It will probably be somewhere in the 12 to 15 range. You're going to get not great strikeouts, pretty average 22 to 25% kind of range. That's kind of whatever because he has good control. It'll lead to good whips, which have always been pretty good these last three years, 114, 106, 116. If you look at the ERAs these last several years, He's as consistent as it comes. Going back to 2018, 302, 381, 229, 315, and 342. He is really, truly about as consistent as it gets. Chris Bassett is somebody that I am targeting all over the place. Great team context, average strikeouts, but great ratios. He can be a solid three-plus category contributor for you. In that Blue Jays rotation, Like the, the sky's the limit in terms of win potential for him, for Gosman, for Manoa. I think that we could potentially see all three of them end up with around 15. It is, uh, you know, it's asking a lot, but I think it's definitely a possibility, definitely in the range of outcomes. Chris Bassett, you could even argue that he should be higher on this list. I could, you know, make a case for him to be closer to number 40. I'm not personally going to do it right now. I don't love the strikeout rate being at where it is. Last year it was like 22% historically, about where he's gone, 22 to 25%. That's kind of what holds him back from a fantasy point of view. If he was giving you close to a thirty percent strikeout rate, he would be like a top twenty pitcher. That's the reality of the situation. I don't think he's going to get there, but he's still absolutely stable. There are guys you're drafting in that range, and you're thinking, well, maybe they're going to stay on my team, maybe they're not. You know, maybe these guys are a bit of a wild card, shot in the dark. Whatever. He is not. He is absolutely solid. You know, he's going in that same range as Kodai Senga, Hunter Brown. We don't know exactly what we're going to see from those two guys. Luis Garcia for Houston. He has to change his whole windup and delivery this year. Don't know how that's going to work. Dustin May is going ahead of him. He's always a bit of a wild card. You know, Jeffrey Springs is as well. I've already said I'm higher on Bassett than I am on Springs. There's a lot of guys going in this range who have a lot more question marks around them than Chris Bassett does. Even Grayson Rodriguez is going two picks later. Now, I'm personally buying into the upside of Grayson, but... If you're somebody who wants to draft a safer team, Chris Bassett's a safer draft pick for sure. You know he is going to be there. You know he is going to be making 30 starts as if he's healthy, and the team context is much better. You could definitely make that argument to take him over Grayson. For me, I am going to be going Grayson probably, but I understand totally the reasoning to go with Bassett if you want to play it safe. Or if you took some risks earlier in your draft— and you don't want to be taking another one. Let's say you took a DeGrom, or you took an Otani, or a Trout, or somebody where there is some question marks. There's not really that many question marks with Chris Bassett. He is just a stable presence at the end of your rotation, mid to end of your rotation, real life and fantasy, and he is somebody that I think should be on as many teams as you can possibly fit him on for this season. Last guy we are going to talk about today, and that is Pablo Lopez. A couple of guys were in consideration for this last spot, but it ended up, being Pablo Lopez that I go with, or that I went with, I should say. Uh, where is he on this list here? I wonder if I'm higher or lower by much than the rest of the world. Not really. He is going as the 45, based on the Fantasy Pro's ECR. Feels pretty reasonable. I, I like him. I think that the context, the team context, certainly got better. Uh, You're leaving Miami, which has never been a great place historically for pitchers to get wins. To go to Minnesota, a team that is definitely better I'd like to see the strikeout rate get back up a little bit. It's not terrible at 23%, but I was kind of hoping after 2021 we'd see him raise it consistently to 27 It went back down even below what we've seen like in 2020 over. Granted, a small sample size, but I thought we were going to see something a little bit better than 236 It's still totally serviceable considering the good whip and the good ERA numbers that he gives you. He is He's very consistent. He is very similar to Bassett in that he is very consistent. Not going to blow you away with strikeouts decent team context I think those guys are very very similar and they're going in a very similar range here uh, Lopez's ADP right now is 170 Bassett 173 uh, you could honestly probably flip a coin I'm going with Bassett because of course I'm a Toronto homer now I think the team context is a little more secure you get more wins potential with Bassett and he has done it very consistently over the last several years where Lopez kind of has they're just not as much of a track record to look back on I think Bassett is the guy that you can look at and say, this is pretty assured, the the production that I'm going to be getting out of him. And I think so likely as well with Lopez. But I think with Bassett, it's the potential for a few more wins that do have me wanting to take him over Lopez. And again, it's very close. You could flip-flop them here. No big deal. But that is the top 50. That is the way that it plays out. I'm pretty happy with it. Will there be one or two things that get moved around? Probably, yes. I think that I might move Logan Webb down a couple of spots. I think I maybe will move Cobb down a spot or two. There's not much that I really want to tinker with. I think it's I think it's a pretty, pretty complete list at this point. Obviously, if there's any big news, we will update it. But at this point, that's your top 50 starting pitchers for fantasy baseball. I'm going to do 50 pitchers tomorrow. We've done 50 over the first four days of the week. Tomorrow, we're going to go through 50 of them. We might not be a specific as we have been these last couple of days going through the numbers. It might be a little more general, but we are going to talk about generally why guys are ranked where they are. We'll do it more in terms of tiers and groupings as opposed to each individual. There will still be individuals I highlight over the next 50 names, uh, but in general, I'm going to try and be more concise tomorrow. We're going to be going through as many as possible. I'm going to, I'm going to get through 100. Even if I have to do a two-hour show, we're going to get through it um cuz I don't want pitching to carry over into next week. We got some cool guests that we're going to be bringing on the show and some other cool things that I want to I'll hold back for now, but some cool stuff that we do have planned leading up to opening day this year. Guys, I really appreciate you continuing to hang out here, listening to me talk fantasy baseball. It is still a thrill and it is still crazy to me that you guys tune in every day and listen, so I really appreciate that. You can show some support by leaving a rating and review or rating or review whichever you prefer, whichever is easier on the site of your choice, whether it's Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, any sites that allow you to do ratings and reviews, we'd really appreciate that here. Also, go ahead and follow us over on Twitter at EthosFantasyBB. That's where all of our content is dropped on the baseball side. Podcasts, articles, notes, everything in the draft guide, it's all there for you at EthosFantasyBB. You can follow my own personal Twitter account at joeorico ninety nine. That's J-O-E-O-R-R-I-C-O-99. Guys, we will be back tomorrow. We'll complete this top 100, but until then, take care, have a great night, and cheers, everybody.